0: I thought I would just take a moment briefly to describe to those who are newer to the community why we do what we do. And um, we really want to make Jesus front and center. And so what can happen is the pulpit becomes front and center as if what we have have to say carries greater precedent than who He is. And so we decided some, some time ago that we're going to put Jesus right, bang, slam, in the middle. Now, this is fancier than normal because tonight we've got a charcuterie board and we're going to snack together afterwards and um, we'll let the visitors go first because when we let some of the other regulars go in there, we will lick the platter clean. But it's really important for us that the centrality of Christ as seen in the body and the blood of Jesus We are reminded every time we gather. Why do the musos look at each other? My mentor, many, many years ago, taught me, avoid fame like the plague. And I think that little box over there has caused way more trouble than it's worth. Way more trouble than it's worth. Because those few inches, 18 inches or whatever has created a distance, us and them. We are the clever people. We got the microphone. Shut up and listen to us. But what if we change that around? What if the musicians don't perform for you, but lead you into? That's why we have this setup every week. We have a different setup, sometimes just an instrument, sometimes voices, sometimes a fuller band. But the objective, whether we're getting it right or not, I don't know, is to move away from a performance-based Look up there at the people doing their thing, and I'm going to break that rule in just a moment. And what about if we're just compelled by the wonder of Christ and we worship together? Okay, do you understand that? One more thing, I think. The little kiddos. I love the church as family. Now, I'm a father of three, a grandfather of six, four of whom are in Perth, Australia. But I think it's incredibly compelling to have the kids around us. Is it disruptive? Yes. Do they screech in the most inappropriate moment? Yes. What is the alternative? The message we send them is this is an adult thing. Will all the kids please get out? Now when we open up the scriptures, we do have a little space and they have a great time over there, but we want them to see dad and mom worshiping. Wonderful to see some of the mums with a little baby or the dads with a baby, and the baby gets used to dad singing, mom singing, worshiping, and that's their normal. Not please don't disrupt It's a really important moment. Are you with me? So if it is a little awkward, if it's a little loud sometimes, then it does. We might gently whisper to a parent, maybe just step aside with your kid until it's a bit quieter, but that is far secondary to the fact we want our kids. You know, I I was in Canada preaching some years ago. And uh, at the end of the meeting, this really good-looking young guy, he was a videographer. uh, um, What was that? Amazing Amazing Race. He He was the video guy for Amazing Race. And he walked up to me and he hugged me and he just started weeping. And he said, you know, I grew up as a kid sitting at my mom's feet hearing you preach. He'd gone through a really difficult time. His marriage had fallen apart. And he hugged me and he said, when I heard your voice, I knew that it was going to be okay. There's something powerful about having the kids amongst us, even if it's a little disruptive. So we've got Jesus front and center. We have got the worship people looking toward each other, inviting us into a space of worship. We've got the kids with us, which is a little disruptive for sure. And we accept that. What are we going to do tonight for the the rest of our time? Well, we've got a, um, a very dear friend in the house. And so we decided rather than have a sermon, and sermons are wonderful and we love it, and we're in the middle of a story around origin, the first six chapters of the book of Acts. Rob and I said, why don't I just interview him? So I'm going to introduce him to him in a moment. But because the space is limited, okay, now I'm going to let you vote. Should we bring the chairs in here and we sit here and do it? Or should we go up the 18 inches and become something else? All right, hold it, hold it. We're going to vote because we know it's not in the Bible, but it's a dang good idea. How many of you think we should put the two chairs down here and do it from here? All right, keep your hands high. Be proud to be democratic. All right, how many of you think you'll see better if we sit up there? Rob, we're famous tonight. This, This is our moment right here. Any moment. So, you with me? Is that good? good. And then we'll land together around the table, and I'll tell you how that's going to happen. Ladies and gentlemen, Rob Hutton. (laughs) So, before I tell you who he is, we're going to throw a slide up, and um, this will give you a little window of who Rob is. Um, We a part of a, a global church planting movement. It sounds fancier than what it is. We're in about 15 or 16 countries around the world. And Rob, you've been working into India for how long now? 12 10
1: years probably. Yeah.
0: Okay. So you're getting a bit old. You can't remember things. God, Just take day. your time. Don't <laughs> rush it. It's fine. And so as you'll see by those dates, November 9th through 11th, they'll be at Kottagiri. Is that how you say it? Kodagiri. Yeah. in India. Uh, tell us where it is and Sri Lanka on the other side, and we're going to pray for them. Okay, so um, it's in the south. I don't know if you know. If you you
1: take the south of India, put your finger right in the middle, you'll probably hit a place called Uti, and Kodigiri is near that. The main airport is Coimbatore. Chennai on the east coast, and Kerala on the west coast of India. So that's where it is. And you're going to Sri Lanka as well. Yeah, and we'll go straight from there. Terry is actually traveling with us, so we're going to fly into... India will be there for four or five days, and then we're gonna jump across Chennai, and Chennai to Colombo, and then we'll spend a week in Sri Lanka as well. What do we do there? In both places. Yep. So we're just gathering together leaders. Um, I love going into local churches actually, including into India and Sri Lanka and places like that as well. It's one of the reasons why we do the motorbike trip that we do is to get to the places where people are, get into the homes, of the pastors and their members and the church, and see what's really going on. But there are moments where um, it's much more helpful for us just to gather everyone together, and so that's what we're doing. Um, so leaders will come from from the southern part of India together with us, from Sri Lanka together with us in um, in Nagambo in Sri Lanka, and just before that there'll be a, another gathering in Nepal where the North Indian guys and the Nepalese guys will gather together as well. And so we're just trying to make it accessible. We do times, we, some of the guys are coming from the north to the, um, the time of Kurigiri. They will get on a train, and they will go three days without the train stopping. I mean, it'll stop along the way, but they will not get off the train for three days. We'll travel down. We'll do two days of training. They'll get in again and do another three days on the train to get back again. And so
0: Why, Rob? Why, I mean, that's expensive. Not necessarily financially, yeah. but time.
1: They don't want to be alone. They want to feel like they're connected to something and somebody. Um, they do need to be equipped and trained. And, and many of the guys have been thrown into um, church leadership or ministry because they're the only person in their village or the surrounding villages that, is, that knows Jesus. And, and they, they came to know Jesus and now they, they're leading the work and they've got no training, nothing else. And, um, and so they think it's worth the time to be able to do that and come and encounter God in a different way. And I mean, there's a part of it as well, to be honest, is the guys are... Um, they're, they're in desperate situations financially as well. And so for some of them, it is like, um, like I need to find some way of being connected with some people that can actually help us financially as well, which is a, it's a bit of a it's, a, it's a trap at times, but it's a reality that they
0: sure. face also. Yeah. Sure, sure, sure. Okay, you notice we haven't taken an offering. We haven't taken one in six years. We felt God call us to a journey of trust. But that does mean, you contribute. You contribute into the general running of the community. And I only say that because we, in the last few weeks, we've had people come to us and say, I've got, a cash, got cash or I've got a check. What do I do with it? And we've looked at each other and said, well, actually, we're not sure. So now we're getting super high-tech and fancy. There's a basket. If you want to give... In this high-tech, modern, postmodern world, you can put your money or your cash in there and it will find its way into our bank account. Thank you for those who've been walking with us for the six years. For your kindness and generosity, it is a journey of trust. Open your Bibles. I'm going to read the passage. We'll conversate around tonight. And then um, I'm going to, Rob and I are just going to have a conversation. If time allows, if Rob's not too long-winded, we will, um, we will give you opportunity to ask him or me a question related to the conversation that we are in right now. And once again, welcome massively if this is your first, second, or third time. All right, so it's Acts chapter 2. This is an account written by a doctor, a Greek doctor. Uh, It seems like he's written it out of curiosity for the facts and details around the life of Jesus and the life of the early church. So he's a a scientist, but he's also an historian. He is well regarded as an historian because of the accuracy of the story he tells. So in chapter 2, it's about this deep into your Bible. It says, Then Peter stood up with the eleven. He raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I am to say. What are, yeah. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is not what, sorry, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even of your servants, both men and women, men and women, men and women. I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy, will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below and blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Lots of big, big God ideas in there. Rob, take a moment with us and just give us a quick little cameo um, of your story. Where did you study? What did you study? And how did God invite you into a bigger adventure.
1: So um, I came from a a family that was not Christian. My dad had been grown up Catholic. He had divorced his first wife. And when that happened, he was kicked out of the church and uh, met my mom. And then obviously out of their exuberant love, I came along. And uh, so I grew up in this unchurched environment, never went to church. Actually, my dad and mom, when we moved to South Africa, would drop us off for kids' Church at one of the local churches and give us some money for tithes and offerings, I guess. But we didn't know anything, so we just kept the money. And at half time, we would go into the shops and buy sweets for ourselves and come back to church after that. So we had no grid for church or God or anything. And um, and then a friend of mine got saved. His, his mother was a praying woman and she prayed like crazy. He got saved, and it was really through that that at school I came to um, to meet the Lord. And um, but I grew. I had. I really wasn't connected because I had no family that would connect me to church or anything like that. I was, I was just a young teen kind of figuring my, my way on my own. And um, I knew I loved Jesus. That I knew from the beginning. I've loved him since I was 13 years old. I don't think I've ever stopped loving him in all of my backwards and forwards. But um, there was a, a guy that arrived at our school the one day. He was cool. He had a, a suit on. He came walking under his tie like this. He was, he was, it was a career's day. Took his jacket off and put on the thing. Spoke about how he just his girlfriend he was late because of his girlfriend. Sorry about that. And threw his BMW keys on the table. And I thought, I want to be him. That, that's my goal. And I want his girlfriend. I want his car. <laughs> I want his suit. I want I want all of that. And that was and so I set out to study to be an accountant to make money and to, to pursue that and kind of just that that became without anything bigger in my mind. That became the biggest thing, you know. <clears throat> And then somewhere along the way, um, Linda and I, we've been dating at the time. Linda's my wife the front here. Why don't you stand for a second, babe? No, I'm only joking. Cool. And, <laughs> and um, you think that fan's big? Linda's my biggest fan. Oh. oh. I, I mean, look, I'm trying to fit it in somewhere. And um, and there was a guy that we approached to marry us. We needed a pastor, and um, he, he was, not unbelievably gifted, but he was an unbelievably loving man. And he just loved us back, in, back into the kingdom. And along the way, I went from, we went from a couple that were not interested at all in what was going on at church and in life. We, in fact, one of our, the first leaders' meetings, we, this guy invited us, this pastor was Gerald Sillias, invited us to this, um, to this leaders' meeting. I mean, I'm Baxted at this point. I'm still going out and drinking and getting, and drinking. And, um, <laughs> and he invites us along. And he says, tell us what your dream is. And, um, and so the guy's kind of going around talking about their dreams. And the couple next to us said their dream was to become missionaries. And I literally leaned over to Linda and said, this is a cult. We better get out of here. Like, the thought that God would be at the center of your story seemed inconceivable. They had my God box, and that's where he fitted. Um, slightly embarrassed to say that when it got to sharing what our dreams were, um, mine, Linda's, can I tell them yours, baby? Linda's was to marry me, obviously. <laughs> no, Linda's dream was to go to Disneyland. <laughs> That's a life dream, mate. Eh? That's a life goal, yeah. And my dream was to go to the Soccer World Cup in France in 98. So, so, like, so when God did grip our hearts, when he gripped us, like we knew this was not something inside of us. This is not what we had wanted, what, what we desired in any way. But, but it was like we just somewhere along the line, we just crossed over from... God being in a box to God being out of a box and being God over all of those things. And so it became apparent to us at that point that God had called us to ministry at some point and um, we just began to take every opportunity. When, whenever I, when I'd go for training at my company for, for speaking or presenting, I knew I was being trained to preach. You know, everything that was happening for me was a preparation for what was to come later on. And actually, if if, if I'd had my way, I would have left business five years before. It, it, was, it felt like God dragged it on forever, and, um, and then I came to ministry, and
0: I wish you'd kind of prepped me for another five so, or ten years. So, you became an accountant. Yeah. You became a chartered accountant. You worked for Deloitte's. Yeah. You became a partner at Deloitte's. I mean, you are fast-tracked to serious money, some good shekels, and... Uh, <laughs> no, that's all right. And now the kids are quiet. We won't what else mention who go? it is, Wendy. <laughs> um, and so, I mean, you, you, you had a life crafted for you. And there's nothing wrong with that life. But that was the life crafter. What interrupted that?
1: Well, Linda was a psychologist as well. So she probably would have made more money than me. Who knows along the way. She gave that up as well to be part of ministry. Um, you know, it doesn't feel like I gave up anything. I mean this honestly. Like, anybody can study to be almost anything. If you put the time and the effort in, so it, it was just, you know, it was a thing. And, and you know, when, when I was working and, and I felt the call to ministry, it felt like, you know, is it Rachel? Isaac, take the Rebecca. When he's, when he's got um, Jacob and Esau. Rebecca's got Jacob and Esau in her, that's how I remember it. Isaac, take thee, Rebecca. He has got Jacob and Esau in a, in a womb and they're wrestling together like this. And that's what it felt like for me. I felt like there were two kingdoms wrestling inside of me. I loved the work that I did. I loved the environment I worked in and I, and I would have given myself to that and, bu- and I wanted to build something and do it well. But there was this other kingdom, the kingdom of God. And, um, you know, I mentioned when we were at the um, so-called collective that I came to a gathering of leaders and um, a, a friend of ours, well, a friend of Chris's, I knew him. <laughs> but um, a guy called Dudley stood up and spoke about, he just spoke about the gospel to the nations and I'd never heard this. For me, church was what you did on a Sunday and you brought your, you know, your, I'd learned that actually now you give the tithe to the church. You don't go buy sweets with it. Um, candy. And, yeah, candy. Uh, and so you, um, I, I, but I figured it was just the church. It was The church had its box. And in the same way that I'd begun to see God had to be taken out of the box and he's either God or he's not God, I saw the church either had to be the church or it wasn't the church. And the church isn't some insignificant thing that just happens on a Sunday. It is, it is the hope of the world. It's, it's the most transformative agent in the world. And when I when I saw this, I realized that this kingdom, like the, the call upon my life had to be satisfied. I, I just, it, it just took its place. And um, And yeah, I, was, I was saying this morning, when, when one of the other churches we were at this morning, just like when I look around the world today and I see the brokenness, you know, i We get to go to some really unbelievably broken places. And the the injustice that prevails doesn't lead to you paying high gas prices. Um, It literally leads to people dying. It leads to children being trafficked. It leads to families being broken up. It leads to generations being disrupted irrevocably. And, um, And the only thing that can change that is the gospel. I'm absolutely persuaded of that. I I've, I've I Honestly, I've, I've thought, like, 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 like I come from South Africa. It's a country that's in a, it's in a spiral that, that desperately needs intervention. And when the last um, president came in, I thought, like, this guy is going to bring it around, you know. And over the last period of his term, I've realized it's got so far now, no man can fix this. And uh, God, if you don't come, and he's not going to come, like, and just, I mean, I can do whatever he wants, but, like, just put in a, Never kidneys that they kind of get it done. I I believe it's got to be the gospel that the the wine that I spoke about that just begins to flow over the nation. And so that began to grip my heart in a way that I just like, what could I do, you know? And so, and then for me, I mean, actually, when I just before I came into ministry, I got offered a promotion within the company, which was a promotion I wanted. It was was exciting, it was a a division, quite a successful division within the company, and uh, I would have had to. Really learn a whole lot of new stuff, and which was which was cool. I was keen to do that, and um, and I, and I, and then I, so I went to go seek God's face because I knew if I did this, I would have to give two years to it. So I really went. I prayed. I prayed. I went to go see the guy that was pastoring, leading me at the time. I said, "What do you think?" Because he was the one that would call me, and he said, "I don't know. I got no answer for you. I thought, You're useless." And I went to go pray again. Linda didn't know the answer. Nobody knew the answer. I was praying, praying, and eventually. One day, like close to where I've got to get the decision, I read that scripture in Matthew where Jesus tells a parable about the man that finds a treasure in the field. It says he stumbles upon this treasure in the field, covers it up, goes away, sells everything he has, and purchases the field. And I know what that text obviously is teaching, but the word to me that day was that the calling, the call to ministry was my treasure in the field. And nothing must get in the way of that. And I went to the guy, um, there was heading the company up, and I said to him, look, I can't take the promotion. He was a Christian guy, a strong Christian. He led worship in his church. He was so cross with me, man. He was like, he was, he was, like, I don't think he ever spoke to me again after that. Like, he was so angry with me for turning that down and choosing ministry, which did come within the next six months. And, um, and it was because God hadn't called him to ministry in the, in the church, in that sense, and paid ministry. God had called him to minister in Deloitte's in the way that he was doing. He was doing an amazing job. He was an incredibly gifted minister in that context. But he, but my core was to this, and um, and there was nothing we could do. And, and Linda graciously, one day, <laughs> we were like wrestling through the whole thing, because Linda had, I mean, she had married an accountant, a chartered accountant, and we were gonna build our lives together in a certain way, and God gripped us in the middle of it. And it, was, it was obviously a wrestle for Linda as well. And one day she just said to me, she said, do whatever God tells you to do, I'll follow you. She denies this now, but she definitely said this. <laughs> <laughs> and so we said yes, and we've just tried to keep saying yes ever since then.
0: Going from that position in Deloitte to staff in a church must have been a big financial adjustment.
1: Yeah, I was pretty useless with my finances, even when I was in Deloitte, so got to be honest. I felt... I felt um, You said something once, Chris, which I've heard guys repeat. I never heard you say it. But we won't be rich, but we'll do the things that rich people do. And um, I think that's what ministry life has been like. Look at the set of drums here. And um, my daughter's sitting over there, Hannah. Hello, Hannah. (laughs) Um, And uh, her brother, Matthew, from a very young age, was this gifted little drummer, you know. Um, He just drummed on everything. And... um, so one day, when he was about nine years old, um, we had had this amazing situation where, well, it's a whole testimony, but we led this one, I led this one lady to the Lord. Her husband was dying of cancer, and I led her to the Lord at his bedside like this, and she came to the church. She was filled with the Spirit. Like it was just transformative for her, just an amazing thing. And one day, she phones Linda and says to Linda, listen, I was a drummer. I'm not going to drum anymore. Do you want these drums? Or do you know anybody that wants these drums? And so, I don't know, I'm about as musical as a piece of wood, but, um, but it was a Yamaha set of drums. Apparently it was a good set of drums, whatever. And so they, um, they gave them to us and I, we brought them home and I, we took them down to this room that we had and we set them up down there for Matthew to play on. And Matthew, I've got the video of him first time on those drums, playing away at these drums like this. And he would, he played those drums to death until we had to throw them away. They were completely ruined. But as we walked up from that room with that set of drums heading set out there, I said to him, you know, my boy, if I was still at Deloitte's, I wouldn't buy you this set of drums. This is too extravagant. I would I would not spend this amount of money on a nine-year-old boy. This is the kingdom of God. And and God has been like that the whole way through. Like, whatever sense that we have um, had to give up, if, and it doesn't feel like anything. It, it It genuinely doesn't. There's no sense. Honestly, I don't think there's any days that we sit and we wonder, like, what would... I mean, maybe there probably are. That would be a bit of a lie. There are one or two days, but few in the in the 25 years or something we've been in ministry that we've seriously thought, and um, what would life have been like if we'd done that? God has been, he's been too generous and too kind to us in all the years, and um, so, and actually, to be quite honest, learning to steward my money after I left, um, Deloitte's Was I was was probably doing better with the finances than you. It was it was a massive cut, but it didn't. I didn't feel it in that sense, you know.
0: So you led a small church, smaller church in Durban, South Africa. Then you moved to Dubai to take on the leadership of that church. What was the transition like for you guys from Durban, familiar culture, although you weren't born in South Africa, familiar culture, into Dubai, the Middle East, the kind of engine room uh, focus of so much of global
1: action yeah. um, well we knew God had called us which was massively helpful I, I, when the guy that invited us over phoned me and, and he was talking to me on the phone about coming over before he didn't have a chance to ask me I had these thoughts going through my mind we'll have to rent out the house and sell the car I knew God had spoken so when he asked I, I actually already knew the, what the answer was but I'm a good Christian so I said I'll pray about it even though I already knew the answer and So I went away for two days to pray. And Linda's, I phoned Linda after the first day. I said, said, I'm not hearing anything. And she said, because God's already spoken. (laughs) Like, we know we're going. So just get back here and let's go, you know. And so so I went with a wife that was full of faith. And our kids were 11, 9, and 6. So they were young enough to make the move relatively easy. And we knew God had called us. And we just, from day one, we made the decision we were going to call that home. So South Africa was South Africa. When we traveled to South Africa, we traveled to South Africa. When we traveled back, we were traveling home. And we, we, that's what we, we did. And we just made that decision in our minds. We were not, we, we were not missionaries. Like, I mean, um, I had this chat with the guys at Mogaday. Like, I say things that offend people, so don't get offended, okay? Just assume that I'm joking if it offends you, okay? And just, <laughs> just take it as a joke. But, um, but the idea that we go... Um, like we get selected from all the people to go and we kind of represent them to go do something in a foreign land and then come back again. I just don't see that in scripture. I see guys carrying the gospel and establishing gospel communities with it. That's what I see in the Bible and, and I don't know why we would not do that. And so we went to be a part of a gospel community in a foreign land. If God moved us to India, we'd be want to be part of a gospel community. I'd never want to use the word missionary for what we're doing as if this was some some temporary place or, or something other than what God had called me to. And I think, like, so even if God calls you to some crazy context within America that's so different to where you're from, like even the language, I'm a missionary from here to there. No, no, you, you, go, there, you go in there to live there. You, you want to incarnate in that place and plant a community. And so that was our mindset from the beginning. Um, I've never done anything as hard as um, transitioning that church um, and and that, that leadership change. The first, it took us, I think it took us four years before we could preach into the community where people would, felt like they trusted us. There was so much stuff going on. Um, and I was, um, I'm not saying I'm unbelievably bright now, but I was really stupid. I was young and zealous. I wasn't that young, actually. But I was, I was compared to you guys, I was thinking You probably think I'm, yeah, even, you're a really old man. How old was I? I was 41. But that's young, okay. 41 is really young, believe me. Hey, Chris. <laughs> I remember those days. <laughs> and uh, and it was, there were times where I felt like, I look back now and I go, man, I would do it differently. But I think God chose me because I was stupid. Do you know what I mean? Genuine, I mean this. I think God thought, I need somebody that's a bit rough, a little bit, un- a bit stupid, that will do some of the things that need to be done. And it's not that God allowed me to get away with sin and stuff. Like, like when, if I was too harsh or unkind, God dealt with those things. But like he, one of the things we think is, like, I need to be an incredibly gifted leader to go into that context. God actually sometimes wants your stupidity in that context, your lack of experience, your, your zeal that's greater than your wisdom, almost, in a situation— because he can't use somebody who's thinking too much and is too experienced to break through there. He needs somebody that's, that's just willing to take the sword and start swinging in the middle of the lentil field and will not move until such time as there's nobody left coming to them. And, and I kind of felt like that <laughs> the first couple of years. I felt like I, 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 don't, I've got a, I don't have nervous breakdowns. Honestly, I don't think I'm wired for that kind of thing. Just, that's not, I don't legitimately recognize it in other people's lives. It's just not me. And, but after the first year, um, I think I, got, I came as close as I possibly could to something like that. It was just so overwhelming, all the battles. But, um, but like I said, we were too stupid to know better. And so we just kept going. And, and now we have um, the best church in the world. I mean, your church, your church is good. But if you really want to see an amazing church, you've got to come to the How many Dubai.
0: nationalities are in your church?
1: I've, I've no idea. I, I don't think it would be wrong to say 40 different nationalities. And I don't mean like, like somebody that's got a Filipino heritage and now they, I mean, th- these are people who, their families still in the Philippines and they're here, or Nigeria, or Ghana, or um, Colombia, or we have 40 different nationalities. It's, it is an un- believably diverse church. It is like, I sit there, and we didn't do it, but I sit there in absolute awe of the diversity of the church. It's just crazy. Remembering people's names is an
0: is a absolute nightmare. <laughs> I know. I know, Fred. Yeah. Um, all right, let's move to the passage, because yeah. I think it'll, it'll add to your story. It says right there in the first verse is that Peter stood up with the 11. It's an incredible picture mm-hmm. Uh, of team, because no one appointed Peter as the spokesman. Yet in that moment, the hand of God seems to be on him. And the other 11 apostles, including Matthias, stand up with him. They back him. They believe in him. Um, Why can team be so highly powerful? Why can't everyone just do their own thing? Remember when Dana spoke in the Philippians series, quoting from the University of Portland, and declaring that the number one issue, this is the University of Portland, this is a secular institution, speaking to their foreign students, saying in order to understand America, you have to understand these things, and the number one thing is that Americans are highly individualistic. So why, Robert, could that verse be so weighty and poignant for us as a community?
1: Do you want to say something, babe? (laughs) Come on, Lynn. Come on. (laughs) She knows I'm just teasing her. Um, you know, we, we did this, I don't know if you guys have heard of something called Strength Finders. It's just one of those things that people do. To um, And I've always known, I've always said, like, um, it's good to have people around you that have different strengths. What I really mean is my strengths are the best, and if everyone was more like me, everything would go so much better. That's what I really mean. So when you hear me saying, I like the fact that you're different to me, what I'm really saying is, but you can change and you can become like me, <laughs> And wow, we're going to move together incredibly. And of course you think that way because that's how you wide. It's the lens that you look through, the whole world. You see the world through this lens that is, and so my, my strengths are, they, they, I, I take action quickly. I'm absolutely certain I'm making the right decision. And actually a lot of the time I do make the right decision. I want everybody to come with me. That's my strengths. And then God put me with a group of guys, and we did the strength finders, um, and put me with a wife whose strengths Linda and I do not even have in the top 10 one strength that overlaps. Not one. Like, like we could not be more different, you know. And what God taught me through this was um, how incredibly valuable that is. That, 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 that which I said and gave lip service to, I came to realize it is unbelievably true. And an example of that is this, um, this couple that were on eldership with us, Sajith and Michelle. Sajid Sri Lankan, Yeah, they're Sri Lankan, had lived in Dubai for 17 years. We've just released them to go plant in Nagamba back in Sri Lanka again, which is quite a move because Sri Lanka's a nightmare at the moment, and they could go anywhere, and they've agreed to go back to Sri Lanka to plant a church there. Anyway, Saj and I could not be more different, and we, we nearly came to blows is probably too strong a word, but, but we, we at one point we were like for three months at loggerheads with each other like this, and in um, the, the beautiful gift of God, he, we stuck it out and, and it took a prophetic dream, actually, that brought the breakthrough and we came to the end of it. But what happened after that was having wrestled through this deep realization of how much I need him and how much he needs me and how the, the differences between our personalities and giftings is profoundly important. And, um, and so that has been a, a, a crazy here after I've probably been leading church for 17, 18 years at this point, and that, I, that finally sinks in as a reality for me. And so the more that I realize that, Chris, the more that I realize that every single gift, and apparently on Strength Finders, it represents, I don't know, something like 3 million or 30 million or who knows what the number is, different kind of mixes, algorithms that could be there. That means in this room, there's no, it could be possible that not one person is the same gift mix as another person in this room. And God intended it that way, you know, and so, so I think that's the plan of God and the purpose of God. Um, it doesn't mean that everybody has to have the same kind of gifting, but it does mean, especially for somebody with my kind of gifting, that I've got to leave room for other giftings to come through. And that's what we see happening in the book of Acts as as it moves forward. Peter fades out of Jerusalem, and James begins to rise, and you see his robbing and being filled by others. Yeah, beautiful.
0: For my part, there are many reasons why I love community. Even at this stage of my life where I've done the hard yards, 40 years of ministry, Meryl and I, I think, could justifiably say, you know what? We've done community. We don't need community. We've we've put our time in. But I just love the joy of being knitted together with other men and women, creating an ecosystem where people can flourish where people can uh, see themselves in a, in a fuller way, and a more compelling way. Rob, let's move quickly because yeah. time is never a friend. Um, what happened here is that Peter quotes Joel and Joel speaks about an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Uh, talk to us a little bit about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit as you've seen it in different moments of your life.
1: I mean, I, I think there's probably no area of Scripture that's more... Clear that something is taking place here yeah, and more unclear is exactly what it is that's taking place, you know. And so we like clarity and so we, we like doctrinal statements that can line up and, you know, I had an accounting background so I fully relate to this thing. Just give me bullet points so that I can figure out what's going on. Um, you know, do we receive the Holy Spirit when we're born again and that, that subsequent, is there a subsequent moment where we're filled with the Holy Spirit? What does that mean? And, how does it, um, and so and we need to approach this with a certain sense of humility, but with a sense of hunger as well. And, when, you know, when I, when I read this, you see something profound has taken place, yeah. There is, there is a shift. This, I mean, they speak about this is the birth of the church that's taking place, yeah. And um, I love that Peter, when he quotes the scripture from Joel, he changes it a little bit. When, you know, when Joel speaks, he says, and afterwards, God will pour out his spirit. And he says, Peter changes and says, and in the last days. And he's saying, these are the last days. These are the days when the Spirit of God is poured out, and the purpose of the Spirit of God being poured out is to lead us to the end of the last days, which is the return of Jesus Christ. And then that line where it says, everybody calls upon the name of the Lord. And this gospel mandate that God has given us, and, and he goes on to explain, because in Joel, when he says, call upon the name of the Lord, it would have been Yahweh, because, but he's showing that. The name of the Lord here is actually Jesus. He goes on in the verse that followed to point out that Jesus is the Lord testified to by the fact that He was resurrected and the fact that He poured out the Holy Spirit. But this gospel mandate we have, we cannot do without the Holy Spirit and without the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the the infilling, the empowering of the Holy Spirit. And so, I don't I don't know what your theology is about when the Holy Spirit comes in to fill you, but I think there should be a hunger for the Holy Spirit to have His space in our lives. Like There should just be this, God, I see this and I want this. And I think you know, one of the things we, we try and seek is like, God, have more room in our meetings. And it's not easy because like, I mean, we can see the clock over there ticking away. We know you guys are not going to sit all night long for us just to jabber on or if we end this time and now we say, okay, now we're going to make room for the Holy Spirit to move and we spend two hours... Th- th- I'm a church leader. I understand that thing. We have back-to-back meetings. We've got to end the one meeting. Otherwise, there's going to be no car park spaces for the next guys to come into. So how do you leave room for the Holy Spirit in your meetings and in your life? And um, I remember one year saying to God, God, we don't have enough deliverances in church. Do you know what I mean? Like, like I read, when I read the scripture, I see that there were demons that were cast out. And I said, God, like, like what? we want more. <laughs> Careful. <laughs> I'm telling you, I prayed that prayer at the beginning of January. By the end of January, we had this meeting, and this woman just starts screaming in the corner and rolling around on the ground like this. And, um, and we just walked over. We just prayed for her. We just dealt with that demonic manifestation, set her free from the thing. And in my years of ministry, I've seen God um, move powerfully to overcome the demonic. And, and obviously, in the place that I work into, it's just more seen more, I guess, um, a, a couple of Months ago, actually, I, I was preaching, started preaching to the wineskin. And in the meeting on the Sunday, I had a tongue and interpretation of tongues. I I've probably had this three times in my entire life. It's not something that happens often. I pray out in the tongue and I bring an interpretation of the tongue. And then I kind of forgot about it. I was going through some really tough stuff a month and a half after. And a young guy sends me a message and he says to me, hey, Rob, and this word is really encouraging me. And I said to him, so I read the word and I thought, Wow, oh, that is that is power. like um, I said to him. I'm going to take that for myself. I need that right now. That's a word to me in this season. And he says, he said, Rob, that's the tongue that you brought. That was the interpretation of the tongue that I brought. And I was just amazed by how God works. That he he literally speaks to us. He literally speaks to his body. He he heals and he delivers. And um and so I'm I, I'm persuaded that this is what what Peter's doing here. He's, he's making a case for us that. If we're gonna live in these last days and if we're gonna fulfill our last days mandate, we have to hunger and thirst for the Holy Spirit. Don't get too caught up in the theology of it, like when does it happen? Do hands need to be laid or hands not to be laid? Just say, God, I'm hungry for more of you. If I'm already filled with your Holy Spirit, fill me more. If I'm not filled, fill me. I don't care if you call it baptism or filling or overcoming, I need your your power for me to live the Spirit-empowered life. And if you if you're seeing some fruit from it, say God, I want to see more fruit from it. I I do believe that there is that we should be filled and filled and filled again with the Holy Spirit in our lives, and we should be praying often for God to come in, and that for many of us that there will be an an experience of God um, coming upon us that, that that whatever that's like a sense of weightlessness or a sense of feeling light or or heavy or fire in you or or joy or whatever it is. The Spirit of God doesn't prescribe the way it is. But I do think there has to be a hunger and a a thirst for the things of God. And and we grow satisfied. We we grow satisfied on substitutes. Even good worship can satisfy us and go, well, that was a spiritual experience. And it is. But friends, we need a hunger and thirst, and so we've got to cultivate this in ourselves as well.
0: Are there any stories that are current that you could tell us? But land us with that verse where it says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Uh, You have, for decades, been traveling into South Africa, Zimbabwe, uh, Sri Lanka, India. um, And why? Why leave Linda? Because she can't always go. Why leave your kids um, why go to these places and other, as you hear with us in Orange County, why go to those places? What, is, what compels your heart into that space? This is cool. But to go into some of the villages you're going to, um, um, I remember you telling the story of uh, the land rovers, the land cruisers, they were going to some highly remote village. in in Zimbabwe, and the one land cruiser got stuck, if if I got the story right, correct me if I'm wrong, in the middle of the river, and you had to get someone to stand on the roof of one of the land rovers to look for crocs while the others, while the guys were getting in there to be able to pull the land cruiser out. So why do all that stuff? Is it just adventure? I mean, it's fun. (laughs) (laughs) Let's be
1: honest. Um, I remember this one trip we'd done in, in Zimbabwe. We'd gone out to An an area in Zimbabwe that is, um, even the government tell the people not to live there, so inhospitable. And um, we had traveled all day. And I traveled with a friend of mine in his vehicle. And he said it had an air con. But it was like there was somebody in the dashboard blowing like this. (laughs) There was AC. It was 40 Celsius. It was smoking hot. We were dying. Um, The road, I've never seen a road like this. In all my years of going, it was Literally, you'd go down into some holes where they were deeper than the car and have to come out of them again like this. And just rough like this. We, rode, we drove for eight hours that day to get there. We got there in the evening. They fed us cow stomach, and, um, which actually was really quite nice, actually, as it turned out. Who knew? And, uh, but I'm, I'm so tired. I've got to walk now to go preach. It's so dark. You can't see your hand here. I'm going to walk to preach these big spiders like this big running around in the sand like this, and I said, "God, why am I here?" I mean genuinely i mean'm i I'm not like I'm not, why I have nothing to give I'm so tired. What can I say? It's a group of I mean probably eighty percent of them were women and and small children um they were they were sheep herders and I mean they they the, the most the, the most nobodies, as it were, on the face of the earth, you know. Like, we were not going to get any, any advance in our name or the movement, like, but what happens in that moment there? And, um, you know, you know, so profound about that area. When this friend of mine first started working into there 25 years ago, they used to have these, the way that they built their homes was on two levels. So, it was literally a circle like this. And there would be a room downstairs and a room upstairs like this, but, but relatively big. And the wife and the children would sleep downstairs, and the husband would sleep upstairs. And the reason is because of the lions in the area. Um, if the lions came and they took the wife or the children, they would be okay. They can't take the man, because if the man dies, then they all die. And so that's how, that's how the society was. And also, the husbands there could take more than one wife. And so most guys had more than one wife, and so, you know you know what I'm saying? And so it's terrible. That's the way it was. It's just, that's the reality there. So this friend went in there to go preach the gospel in this area that we were going to. And he said, look, is it okay um, if I'm not gonna tell you to put away your second wives and third wives, but if I preach, because they'd got saved. These, he'd gone and preached the gospel and got saved. But can I preach to the next generation that they marry only one woman? And now when you go through that area 20 years later, those, those homes no longer exist like that. The husbands and wives and the children live together the husbands protect their wives and so you go into these places where there is um it like how does the light break in there you know and the gospel it's the gospel that does that and I wanted to say this about it because I didn't have an angel come to me and say Rob go to these places it wasn't like that it was it was that thing there the Bible that just told us to go it was, it was people like Chris saying, ask God whether you should stay, not whether you should go. And so whenever an opportunity arose, I just went. When we started leading the church in Durban, I resigned from my company on the, on the Friday, and Linda came out of hospital, so we could hand over the, hand over the church to us on the Sunday. She went back into hospital to have Hannah. Hannah was born on the Tuesday. That was our first week in ministry. I thought we were gonna die. That was in the, that was in the June, I know, because Hannah was born there. By the November, I'd booked a ticket to go to Zimbabwe, And I went because I knew God had called us to the nations. And I didn't want to become, I didn't want to settle down, even for a few months and say, actually, I'm going to build a suburban church. I want to build a church that's going to take people to the nations. And we took, we went four or five times a year with our car. We would load people into our car and we would drive two days to Zimbabwe and minister for the weekend and drive two days back again. And we did that four or five times a year for the, the nine years that we led that church. And so it's actually just obedience to the command to go. And stop, this is the part where if you've offended, you just take it as a joke, okay? Stop asking God whether you should go and start going. Do you know what I mean? Just like, like pick a place, pick a time, pick a team, and go and get in there. And, and, and if it doesn't work out, um, come back and see Chris and he'll give you your money back, okay? so <laughs> It's a guarantee. <laughs>
0: would you pray for us pray for
1: us Rob yeah, let me say one more thing before I pray oh. I never do that Yeah, yeah. I never so, say one more thing so somebody said to us this week and I mentioned this alcohol, um, one of the other pastors said hey Rob you, you, you intimidated me you intimidated me because of what you do you know and then somebody else said the same thing to us um, be, partly because I've got big eyebrows and it, it becomes it's a bit scary or whatever <laughs> And partly because people think that um, I must be some weird aberration to do the things that, that, that I do. You know, it says in James that Elijah is a, is a, was an ordinary man. Now, if Elijah was in this room, I could understand us being intimidated. If Elijah is ordinary, then nobody could be more ordinary than I am or Linda is or we are here. No, there's nothing that I do, honestly, that I think to myself, wow, like that's that's superhuman. It is it is, there's nothing I do that honestly, and I mean this with absolute integrity. You couldn't do. I mean that. There is nothing that I do. To, I get an aeroplane. I sit in economy class. I fly there. I stay places. I hug people. I sit down and eat food with them. I talk to them. I encourage them. I go into their homes. I take people with me. You can do those things. That's what that's what this gospel adventure is, and so. I want to pray for all of us ordinary folk. And so maybe just for a moment, if you are ordinary, you could just stand with me and I'm going to pray and um, see who stays seated. Okay, those are the X-Men amongst us. (laughs) Father, I I stand together with Linda, with Chris and Meryl, with this um, group of men and women, many of whom are our friends, Lord God, and some that we don't yet know. And I pray that uh, what we see in that passage of Scripture from Acts chapter 2, that Peter stood up with the 11, that as we stood up, as we stand up together today, Lord God, that as you took those 11 and you scattered them across the face of the known world, Lord God, ordinary men empowered by your Holy Spirit and you sent them out, Lord God, that Father, that same um, Spirit of Christ, the, the great Apostle, would come upon us afresh in this time. And Lord, you would scatter us into the nations of the earth. Why not India? Why not Bangladesh? Why not Australia? Why not um, Colombia? Why not uh, Sri Lanka? Why not the UAE? Why not wherever, Lord God, on the face of the earth? And Why not this man and this woman, Lord God? And so I pray that as we hunger for more of your Holy Spirit and you fill us, Holy Spirit, that we would not be able to contain um, what you were doing inside of us and that it w- we would find ourselves like Jeremiah crying, that the word of God is like a fire in my bones. I cannot keep it in. And that we would be drawn, Lord God, to to um, proclaim this glorious gospel um, in the nations of the earth, that we would go into places, Lord God, where, where men sacrifice their wives to lions Lord God and and shift the, the whole culture of a of a city of a region of a nation and even of a continent Lord God and Father I pray that that there, if anybody here has found themselves uh, is disqualifying themselves is taking themselves out of the game that your hand would come upon them and you would gently push them forward and say this is you this is you as well. And that the, the, the dream to be a, a, a history maker, a transformer by the power of the Holy Spirit, which just burned inside of them with renewed power and energy. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.